Get your rag, get your rag, underground newspaper, good for your mind. Thank you so much for joining People's History in Texas this week as we mine the archives to learn about Austin's underground newspaper, The Rag, and the importance of its work. Today we'll be talking about Judy Smith, a longtime activist and leader in issues of women's rights, social justice, and world peace. We have uncovered audio from a 2005 interview with Judy that tells the story of her important work building the Austin women's movement, bringing feminist issues into an underground newspaper in Austin, and developing the Roe v. Wade case, and all in her own words. This is S.L. McGill, and I'm so happy that you've joined me today in collaboration with People's History in Texas and Austin to explore stories about people, places, and events in Texas history that have been forgotten and should be remembered. Visit our website at peopleshistoryintexas.org, like our Facebook page, and follow us on Twitter. Judy Smith grew up splitting her time between Chicago, Missouri, and Oklahoma. Smith enlisted in the Peace Corps and served in Africa, and afterwards she ended up living in San Francisco for a good amount of time in the 60s. There, she participated in the countercultural movement, so the Vietnam War protests, the hippie movement, and the flower power movement. She began to feel alienated from the ideological orientation of the city and moved to Austin, Texas to join her sister Lynn, who was working with the RAG. In Austin, she looked for groups carrying a certain level of political organization because, in her own words, she considered herself a political person. There, she met like-minded women, and they began meeting outside of the newspaper to discuss women's issues. We had heard of this phenomenon of women sort of doing consciousness raising, and so several of us, Bobby Nelson being one, myself, actually Marion was involved in some of those early groups, Lynn, Judy Walther, a bunch of, just said, let's start doing this thing. Whatever it is, let's do it. And so we started having these backyard consciousness raising groups, and... Um, we just had heard that these are the things that you talk about here. So talk about how you were raised and what were the sex roles and talk about oppression of your own personal oppression and what does that mean and talk. So it was like, goodness, this was so much more interesting than that stuff over there with that weird, you know, blah, ideological battle over something. So a lot of the energy that we had flowed out of that and into what we were doing. And we first were calling it what? Women's liberation, I mean, I don't even remember the framing of it. It was very much women's liberation, and we added words to it, like there was a women's liberation front, there was, and front, of course, was a political term that got drawn from that other discussion, but then there was the Austin women's liberation. I mean, there was all kinds of different um, formations on it, but it was basically an energy around, let's discuss what's happening to us as women. So Judy and the other women involved actually began writing about the consciousness-raising groups in the RAG, the previously mentioned underground newspaper. The paper's mission was to cover political and cultural topics that were ignored by the conventional press, and it was part of a larger movement in the 60s and 70s to publish and distribute papers associated with the countercultural movement. The RAG was successful in that it organized Austinites around the anti-war movement, 
drug culture, and the sexual revolution. Smith specifically was responsible for first bringing feminist issues into the RAD. As she often expressed, the backyard consciousness-raising groups were a means of first understanding the issues facing women, but ultimately the hope was that the ideas from those conversations could be brought into the community via the newspaper. We wrote a whole conversation around what are sex roles and, and how you are conditioned down into being just this, you know, very limited being. Um, and we, we got into this whole other arena um, around health and birth control and abortion because, again, it was just an evolution. Um, those of us who got involved in the women's liberation discussion, a lot of us, because we were friends, um, also had an interest in this whole area of birth control and particularly legal, you know, legal abortion. And we would have our conversations around that in our women's group and you'd go, okay, what do you do? Well, you start a referral center and you go to the RAG and say, guess what? We're taking some space in the RAG office and we're doing this. But our um, famous story, of course, is that we had this phone that hung in the hall and um, it was supposed to be a pay phone and the Y supported it somewhat and all that. But what happened is we posted that phone number everywhere. And then people would call that phone number and we were right there in our little office and we'd, we'd jump out because we'd know that'd be for us. And we'd talk on that phone, but we also knew it was bug because you, know, you could hear the little click, click, you know, I'm an expert on hearing bug phones. So we'd go click, click. So we never told the information on that phone. And that was the other thing you'd have to train people. You know, you can talk for a while and you want to be supportive. You don't want to let someone just say, no, you have to call this other number. But, but you just do it, you know, very carefully, but you never give real information. You have to make that happen somewhere else. So then after that call, you'd figure out a way to get that person the real information, which either is either, you know what, there are doctors, we were made arrangements, there's ways you can get abortions in either San Antonio or over the border, or you know what, there are planes, this was earlier, there are planes that fly to California and New York, and we can put you in touch with those people and you can get on that plane, but that's pretty expensive, um, blah, blah, blah. But the thing we were really committed to right off the top was discouraging unsafe abortion, because I'm sure you know that there was a great deal of that. And so the first part of the conversation often was figuring out what the woman was really asking us, because it was usually, I have a friend. It was very rarely, I. The RAG began increasing their community engagement efforts. They launched the Austin Women's Center and the Women's Birth Control Hotline. They began engaging with university communities because a lot of the people working for the RAG were either students or closely associated with students. University campuses became a really easy place to sell copies of the RAG for this very reason. However, the University of Texas was trying to prevent the sale of the newspaper on campus because the RAG was widely critical of the administration and the regents. Over a period of time, the regents were really clamping down on what they called sort of non-student invasion of the, of the campus. And since most of us at the RAG and, and the different political organizations, if we weren't students, we had been students or were associated in some way with students. It wasn't like we had outside armies coming in, but a fair number of people wouldn't be registered at the time. So they were trying to get people to have to carry ID cards and sort of prove you're a student to be on campus and to sell the paper. And um, we said, no, this is, this is public property. We can sell the paper. Probably they could designate some places that we would have to sell it from, but they couldn't kick us off. So we, a lot of people consciously went over to get them to have to kick us off. And then since some of us knew Dave Richards, who was an ACLU lawyer, we'd had some conversations about, well, what if they do this? And he had said, well, actually, they can't stop you. So if they do that, 
we can do this. So over a period of time, people would go over knowing it was technically um, legal, but knowing that this very likely the regents would kick us off and basically setting up a court case. And then I can't even remember who was the one who did the official selling that got caught. But then um, Dave Richards and several of us kind of lined out who would be the um, people who testified and how it would go. And um, the regents just had nothing to stand on. So it went to a three-court, a three-judge panel, they caved on it. But it actually got written up into the level of the Supreme Court. The RAD's success in the New Left Education Project versus Board of Regents of the University of Texas offered the possible success of challenging a state law in federal court on constitutional grounds, which allows a three-judge panel to listen to the case. Thus, a decision can be made much quicker. So, Judy realized that the RAG's case against the University of Texas was quite possibly the perfect vehicle for challenging abortion laws, basically getting Jane Roe's case to be presented to a three-judge panel at the state level would expedite the process of getting heard in the Supreme Court and ultimately overturning a federal statute. Smith consulted Sarah Weddington, an Austin-based lawyer that represented Jane Roe in the Roe v. Wade case, and they began working together. The Roe v. Wade was only one strand in something we were reading, and it seemed to be off happening over here, so it didn't get dropped into the pages of the reg. It wasn't happening in Austin anymore. It was happening here in the you know, appeals court and the Supreme Court, and Sarah was gone. And so in some ways, we were writing more about, come, we'll help you get an abortion. Or the, We did have several on um, rallies and things that we did at the Capitol. And so those were the tools that we more played in the reg. Lawsuits and that strategy, just the reg wasn't the way that you communicated that strategy. And so here, this is one funny story. Well, there's two ends to the story. The beginning part of the story is that Sarah and I have talked about this, and both of us have our own memories about it, and they're a little different, but basically, one of the reasons that we tried Roe v. Wade at all was the RAG had had success in its suit. And I had been involved in that suit, and I had testified in that suit, and we had won it like that. And it was kind of like, woohoo, this stuff works, let's go to court. Um, and so I just said to her, let's go to court, Sarah, we've done all this other stuff, you know, we'll keep doing it, but if we can go to court, maybe that'll help. So, you know, that became just one of the tracks. So that's one of the things that the RAG helped. Once Roe v. Wade got taken to the Supreme Court, the judges ruled in favor of Jane Roe. They declared that laws making abortion illegal violated a constitutional right of privacy. That, at the end of it, I'm working in the RAG office, and that's the only place that they could find me to tell me that the Roe v. Wade decision had been issued. So Sarah's trying to find me everywhere, right? Well, I said to her, where else am I going to be? You know? So she calls me there, and so the phone, Judy, the phone, and I'm what? <laughs> because it was decided on a principle that we didn't even think that they were going to decide it on. We were thinking it was going to be equal protection or something, and they did privacy, which was absolutely the best decision point we could have found. So we didn't even ask much for that decision point. Sarah had made her arguments, due process, equal protection, all that, and then privacy was just a little side thing, because we weren't the birth control case. You know, There were several birth control cases that had come in under privacy, but they were like married people being able to use birth control. We were over here on these other issues. And they just slid that right in with the privacy one, and that was the decision. And we were just like, oh my god. Smith moved to Missoula, Montana, following her instrumental work at the RAG and in Roe v. Wade. And she became as actively involved in women's issues there as she had been in Austin. When she was jokingly asked if she ever put the RAG on her resume, she said, 
And I definitely talked even very often to my professional friends about what I learned doing the rag. I mean, that's something that I don't have any hesitation doing. Um, because the work I do is work of communication and policy. And, you know, I talk about some of those things. And also, I am a believer, and I make this case, that um, our work at the RAG and at the other anti-war activities actually was very influential in stopping the Vietnam War. And I'm proud of that. And believe me, a lot of people I talk to are proud of that. So that's not a detriment of my resume to say, we were successful in really helping to stop a war. I mean, most people are like, wow, okay, tell me more about that. So, yeah, I, I don't have a, a hesitation in that. Thank you so, so much for listening to the first episode of Mining the Archives. If you're interested in learning more about the RAG, tune into our next episode in the RAG series. For additional resources, I encourage you to go to our website, where you can read regularly updated blog posts and you can find a list of People's History in Texas documentaries. One of them is actually a three-part series featuring members of the RAG Collective. I would like to thank both Richard Croxdale and Alice Embry for being honest and knowledgeable resources during the creation process of this episode. If you would like to donate to People's History in Texas to support our next project that investigates the worst agricultural credit crisis since the Great Depression, you can do so on the homepage of our website. Thank you again for joining us in our exploration of neglected Texas history.